Spread the Fire, welcome back to SMWX. And in this conversation, we speak to SMWX legend, your favorite guest, Ukoko Aubrey Machiki. Let's get started. The Sizwe Mbofu Welsh Experience Podcast. Gogo Aubrey Machikli Togoza. Togoza Kesh. Thank you so much for joining us and for being on another episode of SMWX. You're always requested uh, fiercely. Thank you for inviting me once again. It means I've not caused enough offense yet. <laughs> well, we'll see about that. And, and speaking of, of that, is there any foreign currency under this couch? I, because I just need to make sure that. Uh, I, I think I need to consult about. <laughs> what yeah. the appropriate answer should be. <laughs> due process must follow. <laughs> yes, yes, yes. We must follow due process. Yeah, yeah. We, let's not get in too much trouble. Or, or we might. <laughs> um, I wanted to speak to you, of course, because the revelations around President Ramaphosa have set tongues wagging, and uh, your analysis of the situation has been much sought after. And what was your reaction? Um, and, and what's your view on the revelations um, around President Ramaphosa, or at least the information that seems to have surfaced? Well, I do think that uh, this is the deepest image crisis or perception crisis Ramaphosa has faced since his election as ANC president in 2017 and head of state in 2018. Now, we must bear in mind that Ramaphosa, to some extent, is a construct. Um, with the help of the media, or let me say sections of the media, and certain sections of civil society, this construct of Ramaphosa, who must be viewed in contradistinction to this demon, um, Jacob Zoma, was created. And what was created is an angel. An angel that rises on the ashes of Jacob Zuma's presidency. On the ashes of what people call nine wasted years of Jacob Zuma's presidency. Which is a mischaracterization because these are nine wasted years of ANC misrule, of which Ramaphosa was part. So in the process of creating this construct, this angel, this messiah, this saint who is going to save the country, we pretend that Ramaphosa was in a coma during the so-called nine wasted years of Zuma's presidency. Another important dimension of the construct is that this construct rises on the ashes of state capture. And we must remember that Jacob Zuma has become a metaphor for all things venal and corrupt and a metaphor for state capture. And the antithesis to that is the construct Cyril 
Ramaphosa. So it is only during the nine wasted years that state capture occurred. It did not occur before the nine wasted years. It is not occurring now because we do not have an in principle objection to state capture. We object to state capture only to the extent that the state is captured by those we like or who are like us. So, before the nine new state years, the state is captured by those who are like us or those we like. Mm. And therefore, we do not object to state capture during that period. We do not object to state capture currently because currently the state is captured by those who are like us or those we like. And so some of the responses we have seen to these revelations mm -hmm. about what might have happened at the Palapala farm of uh, the president have to some extent been shaped by this construct. And the extent to which people defend the president or even attack the president is also informed by the construct. So there is an attempt to destroy the construct. Mm -hmm. There is an attempt to reinforce and reimpose the construct. What um, interests me, Gogo, uh, is also the president's response to um, the allegations that have been levied against him. He came out um, speaking to ANC supporters in some ways trying to dispel the allegations but in other ways accepting some of the uh, allegations like there was a robbery. Mm. Um, then the response seems to have moved recently after his appearance at Parliament to I'm not saying anything. Um, what do you make of his response to the allegations? Well, if I were his strategist, what I would have demanded from him is for him to tell me everything he knows about the saga. In which case I will be able to tell him whether he should comment at all. Mm. And in commenting what he should or should not say. Because what has happened since the revelations surfaced is that every time he speaks or others speak on his behalf, we are left with more questions than answers. And every time he speaks or those who speak on his behalf speak, his, ima his image crisis deepens. So by the time he goes to Parliament last week, mm. his image crisis has deepened and what we see is an attempt to arrest a further deepening of the image crisis. And hence now he is invoking due process and is, is refusing to add to what he has already said. But the problem with this is that the negative perception is in place. Mm. And because the negative perception is in place, what is also in place 
are questions the citizenry thinks he should answer, um, are questions that um, do not paint a good picture of the president. Now, in politics, that there is a negative perception means you should worry less about whether the perception is grounded in truth or not, but worry more about whether your opponents and enemies can convert that perception into something they can weaponize against you. Mm -hmm. That is the main challenge he faces. And I think what he and those around him are trying to do is to prevent a situation where the allegations against him are weaponized to his detriment. Mm. Now, th there are key questions he, he has to answer. He says, for instance, that it was not $4 million. Mm. It was much less. Two years after the robbery and two weeks after other Fraser laid the charges, by now he should be able to tell us how much it was. Mm. The fact that he can't tell us how much exactly it was raises questions. And he, he exposes himself uh, to negative inferences mm. about why he cannot tell us how much it was. Because if he can say it was much less than $4 million, mm. um, but cannot tell us exactly how much it was, it can also be said it was more than $4 million. Mm. So he has opened um, that gap. Then there are questions about the source mm. of the money. He, he says he's a game farmer. These were proceeds of um, sales of animals that he engaged in. We have Julius Malim, on the other hand, talking about the possibility that this foreign currency was not proceeds of gaming, but it's money that was fetched on his behalf from a plane. Now, of course, Julius Malima has not expanded. But when Julius Malima says this, another question that arises is whether the president should be taken at face value when he says he got that money because he sold game. And if he cannot be taken at face value, should we not ask? whether all of the money that was allegedly hidden in the couch or mattress or both, all of it. Whatever article of furniture it was. Exactly. You know, whether all of it came from the sale of animals mm. or only part of it came from the sale of animals. And maybe Julius Malima is correct in alleging that the rest or all of it may have come from a different source. For how long was the foreign currency in his house? That's another question. Accumulated over what period of time? 
that raises another question. If it was over a period, let's say of months, was all of it um, proceeds of um, game farming? And then you have allegations that um, these Namibian citizens were kidnapped with the help of Namibian authorities by the head of his protection team and others who entered Namibia illegally, were brought back into South Africa, were tortured, and were paid to keep silent. Many questions arise out of those allegations too. Mm. Now, we have footage. And when the president thinks of responding at some point in future, one of the things he, he must bear in mind is that these allegations surfaced in the context of firstly counter-deception uh, counter strategies and deception strategies sure. in an intelligence environment in part. Mm. Now, if we look at who laid the charges, you know, without falling into the trap of demonizing him, sure. that is Arthur Fraser, as an attempt at diverting attention mm, mm, from the allegations. Yeah. We, we must bear in mind, mm. though, that as he thinks about how to respond, he must also think about whether the footage Arthur Fraser handed over to the police mm. is the totality of the footage that was handed over to mm. Arthur Fraser that other Fraser had access to. About this issue and potentially other issues too. <laughs> exactly. Also, you must bear in mind that in an intelligence environment, an assumption is made that one of the primary threats to national and state security is the head of state, which means any intelligence service worth its salt must know more about the head of state than the head of state knows about himself. And the question then you must think about is, what is it that the intelligence services know about him that he does not know about himself? And how much of that may be the content of future and damaging revelations? Mm. And, and, and so the president has to think very carefully about this, but also, um, I think we must bear in mind that if he was head of state in one of the democratic countries South Africa mimics, he either would be under serious pressure to resign or would have had to resign by now. Because what the ANC in particular has done is that the ANC has decided to shift away from revolutionary morality because if it looks at this matter through the prism of revolutionary morality, you do not have to wait until charges are laid before any member of the ANC steps aside because such a member has brought the revolution into disrepute 
and therefore the revolutionary movement into disrepute. So what we have seen in the evolution of the step-aside rule mm. is an attempt to impose narrow legalism as, as an attempt to run away from the prescripts of something much broader, mm. revolutionary morality. So if the ANC relied on revolutionary morality, the ANC would not have to wait until charges are laid or not. The only question the ANC would have to answer is, has he brought the revolution into disrepute? Is this bringing the revolutionary movement into disrepute? If the answer is yes, he would have had to step aside until he has cleared himself. Because the first question that must be answered is what damage are these allegations, irrespective of whether he is guilty or not, doing to the revolutionary movement? Absolutely. Well, just just to think through a bit of, of what you said, because we've always said we, we try to have conversations here rather than just an interview on your request. But three things come to mind based on what you've said. The first is there may be things that we already know that we don't even need a criminal trial or further investigation for which are damning enough to damage the president and one of those for me which i think has been under discussed is simply carrying on business while you're the president mm. i mean there can be no greater exposure to conflict of interest than actually mm. accepting money for a private endeavor as the president now Maybe the president doesn't have a business. Maybe the money ended up on his farm and he has no involvement in it. That would be very difficult to understand. But mm. just that alone for me is sufficient to actually call into question any president's position because are we really going to sit back and accept a president having private, uh, private mm. dealings as the highest office, office holder? That's the one thing. And you know, feel free to respond as, as, you, as you like. The, the second thing that comes to my mind when I, I hear your analysis is what does this mean inside the ANC? Of course, there's a step aside mm. rule. There's the conference coming up. And Ramaphosa had managed to put himself in what seemed like an unassailable position, uh, at least in terms of credibility. But suddenly now at the 11th hour, he has opened the door for questions about his credibility. And that could then mm. open the door mm. for questions about the leadership, which mm. weren't there before. And then finally, and this is another thing I don't think anyone has or few people have actually reflected on is, again, whether there's a criminal trial or not, whether Ramaphosa wins the ANC presidency or not, what does this mean for 2024? Because hitherto, Ramaphosa has always, whether rightly or wrongly, been able to assert himself as a more credible candidate. He has managed to rescue the ANC from its own demise in some ways. It's, yeah. it's total demise. But what does a voter now, what does the ANC say to a voter now when, when they ask on the campaign trail and let's say he survives up until then? Hmm. Well, what about the president's mattress? You know, yeah. That seems to be, this, this, this has the opportunity to be the thing that is the final nail in, in the coffin hmm. of ANC dominance. Well, in my view, there is enough, firstly, that he has conceded, which 
damages his image quite seriously. So he doesn't deny that um, foreign currency uh, was stolen on the farm. Um, he may want to quibble about whether it was under a mat or a mattress mm -hmm. or uh, a couch or cushions. But he, he, he doesn't deny the primary fact mm -hmm. that foreign currency was stolen uh, on his farm. You are right. There, there, there has been an attempt to downplay the conflict. Now, of course, that has been part of a broader campaign to divert attention away from the president by demonizing uh, Arthur Fraser. Because, as I said, the revelations emerge in a milieu of deception and counter uh, deception strategies. Mm. So there is enough that he has not denied um, on the basis of which actually, uh, as I said, if he were a head of state in one of the democrac democracies we mimic, he would have had to resign. Now, the the impact this might have on the ANC, the internal balance of forces and balance of forces in the ANC is interesting. Mm. Because my baseline scenario is that he is the front runner yeah. in the presidential contest. But certain variables are beginning to move and are moving in the wrong direction for the president, which means the time has come for me to review my baseline scenario, mm. because uh, there are factors in the political environment inside and outside the ANC, which may render my baseline scenario false. For instance, we, we have an upcoming policy conference. Mm. Now, one of the battles you are going to see at this conference possibly is, is a battle to turn the policy conference into a national general council. There will be delegates who, who, who will want to argue that because of COVID-19, the ANC did not have a national general council, it's midterm conference. It's more important to have that midterm conference to review uh, whether the ANC leadership has been effective in implementing the decisions of Nazarek or not. Secondly, there may be those who say no, it can't be either a National General Council or a policy conference. Let's have a hybrid conference mm. which does both, which does a review of how the ANC leadership under Ramaphosa has performed in implementing the resolutions of the Nazarek conference and at the same time be tasked with emerging with a policy framework mm. that will be debated at the national conference in December. So that can happen too. But what may become a more critical debate, I think will be an attempt to have the step aside rule mm. reviewed.
Mm. Now, of course, there are those who will want to impose the original resolution. In which case, if Ramaphosa's opponents win the day, he will have to step aside. Now, obviously, he, he, his, his supporters are going to resist that, you know. But look at what Ace Mahashule is saying. Ace Mahashule has argued previously that the step-aside rule has been applied in a manner that neutralizes the opponents of the president. Now he is saying that state institutions, in this case the NPA, are being used to prevent people like him, who are opponents of the president, from participating in the leadership contest. Now, he has also announced that if nominated, he's available to contest the presidency of the ANC. So the stakes are high. Mm. So I do think there's going to be an attempt at the policy conference uh, to review the step-aside rule to the disadvantage of the president of I mean, of the president and his supporters. Whether that attempt will succeed is um, another question altogether. If it fails, it will mean that people like Ace Mahashule cannot avail themselves for election in December, which means the political temperature inside the ANC is likely to rise quite sharp. Another thing you cannot rule out, I mean, already there, there are rumors mm. within the ANC that an attempt will be made to block Zolim Kize from participating in the leadership um, process mm. and contest. What does that mean? Could it be, if these rumors are grounded in truth and fact, that uh, the step-aside rule uh, will be used against him? It can only be used against him if he, he, he is charged. Could it mean that before December, mm. criminal charges will be laid against Zulim Kizan? Now, if that happens, life could become quite complicated in this country. Mm. Because you remember when Zulim Kizan announced his availability, he said he was announcing his availability in response to so-called traditional leaders in the province, asking him to avail himself. Now, we may, if Mkiza becomes a candidate under these circumstances, or there's an attempt to block him, we may go back to the days of the campaign to install Jacob Zuma, where some in the ANC deploy a narrow Zulu nationalism in favor of um, Kize. Now, if, if that happens, all manner of conflict inside and outside the ANC is possible to the detriment of peace and stability, not only inside the ANC, but in the country itself. Now, where does this put the voter? The interesting thing for me is that while we are showing so much interest in what is happening around the president, 
and the succession pattern. Yeah. I think many voters have already made their decision. Mm. And that decision is not to vote for the ANC. So there is a possibility that whoever is elected president of the ANC in December may not be head of state if the ANC falls below 50%. And if it finds itself, yes, being part of a coalition arrangement, but that coalition arrangement is not a coalition arrangement which keeps the ANC in government, mm. in which case it finds itself in opposition benches. In that scenario, all these things are irrelevant in relation to the outcome of the 2024 general election um, um, contest, electoral contest, but are relevant in this way. I am not assuming that all components of the ANC will accept the result in 2024 if the ANC falls below 50% and is not part of a coalition arrangement that keeps it in power. I'm not assuming that. There is a possibility that some components of the ANC will reject the result. And the question for me in that scenario, what manner of social, political and economic instability mm. is possible? So, I mean, there's so much more that could be said about the implications. Um, also, if the ANC were to fall below 50, what would President, current President Ramaphosa do? Would he be prepared to sit on opposition benches or would he step away and say, and then <laughs> that would leave another vacuum in the ANC, but let me not entice you into... Koko, <laughs> um, one of the things I appreciate about the way you talk uh, about society and what is confronting us is that you're moving away from political analysis, as it were, um, and trying to bring in what it means to be a, a full person and a being experiencing what's happening in South Africa. Um, that means our psychic life. That means things we dream about. That means uh, from your position of, of spirituality, visions that you, you sometimes see and then convert into um, how you analyze politics. And we were speaking before this about things that you've been seeing, as it were. Um, and can, can you take us into the things that you've been seeing, uh, mostly because they often resonate in the future, um, as with the July unrest? Well, um, some months ago, I had a discussion with uh, MK veterans. And, mm. and we were talking about the state of the ANC. Mm. And I said to them, first of all, one of the reasons South Africa finds itself where it is, and why the single party dominance of the ANC has had the impact it has had on the um, quality of our democracy, mm. is because we have tended to confuse the ANC with the revolution. And, and I said to them, 
that the time has come for them as veterans who are still active in the ANC mm. to ask themselves themselves whether the ANC remains an effective instrument for the advancement of the revolution. And if the answer is yes, how can the ANC be changed so that it becomes that effective instrument for the advancement of the revolution? Because I do accept that societies, institutions, and organizations do not develop in a linear fashion. They go through golden periods and periods of decline, and the ANC is going through a period of decline. Mm. What is important is the quality of decisions that are made during the period of decline. And that determines whether such a society or institution or organization is successful mm. in launching a new golden period and emerging out of the period of decline. I was invited to speak to the Youth League mm. uh, last year. Uh, I won't mention which region. Mm. I, I said to them, look, one of the things that must change about the ANC is its spiritual content. That the ANC in spiritual terms is in need of deep cleansing because in spiritual terms it has become quite a dirty place, an unclean, dark space, mm. and therefore is in need of deep cleansing. It has become a dark space because too many of its members and leaders invoke forces of darkness as their source of power. To put it bluntly, uh, by a twala. Uh, they engage in spiritual practices that rely on forces of darkness. And this is what has contaminated the spiritual content of the ANC. And ANC must remember that in part the ancestors of the ANC and our ancestors in general conceived of the ANC as one of the instruments through which the decolonial project will be advanced, through, through which restoration will happen. In its current state spiritually, the ancestors do not see it as an instrument that can be used for the advancement of the goal of restoring uh, this country. Now, the process of restoration is both about the past and the future. There are elements of the past that must be res restored, but at the same time, a new society must be created with new features. So the process of restoration is about the interaction between the two. So that's the first thing for me, mm. that what we call factionalism is not the disease itself. The deeper malaise is a spiritual malaise. You cure the spiritual malaise, you may find solutions for the symptom you call factionalism.
in, in 2012, after the 2012 National Conference, I had a vision. Um, I'm looking at The Last Supper, the famous work of art. But the people around the table are not the disciples and Jesus Christ. The people around the table are ANC leaders. And the ANC has been going through its Last Supper for some time now. A, a Last Supper that is leading towards its demise as the ruling party of this country. Mm. But there's an act of betrayal in the dream that I'm showing with some leaders betraying others in pursuit of the presidency of the ANC. I will not talk about those individuals specifically. And then I've been having other visions. Um, in the past two weeks, I have two that I find um, keep me awake at night. Just before other Fraser laid charges against the president, I had a vision in which millions upon millions of people in this country are walking from all corners of the country. And it seems they have been walking for days. And the dominant colors they are wearing are white, black, green, and gold. And they are walking towards a mass funeral of an ANC leader. So I wake up and I remember what I'm taught about how to interpret these visions and dreams. You can start with a literal interpretation, in which case that interpretation suggests that there will be a mass funeral of an ANC leader. Or you can be symbolic that death in a vision is not necessarily physical death, the death of the body. It can be the death of an idea. It can be the death of power, the death of a particular position. And when I look at this vision coming so close to what I did not know was about to happen, other phrase laying charges against the president. I ask myself the question, is it not possible that the ancestors are showing me that the country is moving towards the death of something around the power of the president? Now, the viewers can decide how to interpret this vision. Saturday night, I have another vision. It's quite an apocalyptic vision because what I'm shown in the vision is the country in the middle of a civil war. And the people who are doing the killing are young people. The people who are doing the dying whose blood is spilled are young people. Now, that vision, focusing so much 
on the centrality of youth is a vision about the future, about us killing the future. If we don't pull back from the things we're doing. In this case, if leaders and members of the ANC do not pull back from the path they are on, this vision is a warning that what will result is something akin to um, the title of the poem, an anthem for doomed youth. And so what these visions are telling me is that our politics is pregnant with both possibility and danger. At the end of all the visions I've had, I'm told the same thing. These things are not inevitable. These things are avoidable, depending on how we exercise our free will, depending on, on the choices we make. So my appeal to members of the ANC for the sake of the country is that they must pull back from the path they are on because it is a destructive path, a path that will destroy not only the ANC, but the country itself. And therefore, my visions amount to an anthem for doomed youth, a doomed future, if we make the wrong choice. Well, Gogo, thank you so much for sharing your insights, wisdom, and knowledge with us for yet another blockbuster episode. Towards okay. The Caesar and Welsh Experience Podcast. Aye, 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 aye.